Church. Good morning and welcome to MacIver Church. That's better. My name is Stefan and I am one of the pastors. Welcome to the future, to a new year. And this year we begin by looking at the Bible, the testaments to God's work in history in our new series that's called What's the Word? We'll hear more about that as the service continues. At this time of year, we remember how the Lord has done great things for us and given us the Son. Jesus Christ, 
so we can enter this new year with hope and in gratitude, assured of the goodness of God, even in the midst of our darkness. We can begin each year with joy and hope because of the eternal goodness of our God. So let us stand and greet our neighbors, visitors, and family. Our call to worship this morning is taken from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Out of the mouths of infants and children, your majesty is praised above the heavens. You have set up a stronghold against your adversaries to quell the enemy and the avenger. When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses, what are we that you should be mindful of us? What are we that you should seek us out? You have made us but little lower than the angels. You adorn us with glory and honor. You give us mastery over the works of your hands. You put all things under our feet, all sheep and oxen, even the wild beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever walks in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Let us pray. Eternal Father, you gave to, your, to us your incarnate Son, the holy name of Jesus, to be the sign of our salvation. Plant in every heart, we pray, the love of him who is the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. I would invite kids forward to help us bring praise to our God. And I invite the rest of you to please stand as we sing. Searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. 
strength of God, go before, lift me up, as I wake, eyes of God, look upon, be my Before and behind me, 
Good morning. Happy New Year. Today we are beginning a new series with the super creative title, How to Read the Bible. Yeah, well, we wanted to make sure that it was to the point, and it demonstrated the actual goal of this series. It's not merely ideas about the Bible, but it is meant to equip you practically in order to better read the Bible, so that you can read it more confidently, more regularly, and more faithfully. We believe that Bible reading is vital in order to grow as followers of Jesus. Reading the Bible is essential if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus. And at the same time, the statistics for Bible engagement in Canada are alarming. The most recent study I could find was conducted in 2013, so it was a little while ago. And it revealed that the percentage of Canadians who read the Bible weekly is, can you guess, the percentage of Canadians who read the Bible at least once a week. What do you think? Three. Okay. (laughs) This study revealed in 2013, 11% of Canadians read the Bible once a week. I don't think that's a great number. And those Canadians who identified as churchgoers, how many read the Bible daily? Canadians who identify as churchgoers, how many of those read the Bible every day? 11%. So that's us here, right? And that was 2013. And I'd be willing to bet that the numbers have not been moving in a great direction in the past seven years. So this is the reality of how Canadians are seeing the Bible today. So are Canadians done with the Bible? Are you done with the Bible? Are you done with the Bible for your Canadian neighbors? In an effort to revisit the priority of the Bible, our denomination, the Mennonite Brethren Churches of Canada, recently held a study conference which was called Interpreting Scripture Today. I believe this was also born out of the recognition that many people do earnestly desire to read their Bibles, but they just don't know how. They've tried, but they really don't even know how to get started reading this book. It's not all that simple. It's complex, and many people find it difficult to read. And we've often fallen away from training people in this. And lastly, we've been recognizing that those who are reading the Bible today may actually be doing so in very different ways. And that may offer some explanation for how we so often arrive at different positions on our various issues. So our MB family gathered together in Waterloo, Ontario this past October to explore and accept a unique model that shows how we as Mennonite Brethren believers read the Bible. You can see this up here on the screen. You've also received this in uh, a handout, an outline of the series. Many of you would have received that in a church mailbox. 
If you would like another copy of that, we have some ushers who can bring it to you if you just stick up your hand, or you can receive that again on your way out. I want us to get familiar with this. This series that we're doing over the coming weeks is based around this model, and it's about teaching us and equipping us to understand it, but even more so to use it, to practice it as individuals, as small groups, as a church, as a broader church family in our country and in our world. This is how MBs understand and read the Bible. So our MB model says basically this. When we read the Bible, there are three interrelated elements that are at play. The actual text or words of the Bible, the active illumination of the Holy Spirit, and the communal conversations of God's people. All of these work together to bring God's truth alive in us, calling us to posture ourselves appropriately, interpret and apply the meaning of God's message, and to live it out in the reality of our world today. That's all of what is there in that model, in a simplified form. So considering all of the historical and the global dynamics that are at play here, we can see that this is actually a massive call, how we read the Bible. But it's also not all that complicated. Don't let this become all that complicated. It's actually pretty simple and accessible. It's something that every single person can do. Because more than us, it's actually something that God does in us as we engage in the Bible. So this is the model we're going to be exploring. We're going to jump in together to learn and relearn how to read the Bible. In this series, we'll be joined by three professors from Canadian Mennonite University, Gerald Gerbrandt, Paul Dirksen, and Andrew Dick, And I believe each one of these individuals sincerely studies and submits to the scriptures. So we're really excited to have them teach us, train us how to read the Bible. Each week we'll also have a person share a testimony, a person from within our church, on the gift of scripture in their own life. This morning, Kathy Ewert will be coming in just a few moments. And following the service, we'll have a chance to talk together in the exchange and actually practice how we read the Bible. We'll have an exercise each week that's tied to the principles of the morning, and so we'll get to do this. We'll get to open up our Bibles and turn the pages, get our hands dirty in a sense, practicing how do we read the Bible. And that will take place in the overflow during the exchange. So you can already see that this series is going to cover a lot of ground. But just one word of caution before we begin. Let's not get too lost in methods and models and concepts. Reading the Bible is about far more than specific approaches and specialized knowledge. No, to every person, the Bible is an invitation for all of you, your whole self, to encounter God. That's what it's about. 
And so to help us get going in that way, I wanted to share one excerpt from a book called The Bible Unwrapped by author Megan Larissa Good. And I would highly recommend this as one book for you to read if you're interested in further study on this subject, The Bible Unwrapped. As you listen to this excerpt, you might prefer to close your eyes and just use your imagination or to follow the screen. But she writes this. Imagine a small cabin in a vast forest. The cabin is simple and familiar. It's filled with television and pre-made dinners and a terrifying backlog of messages demanding an urgent response. It's composed, in other words, of all the usual clutter and clamor that make up our modern life. The forest outside the cabin is wild and wonderful and strange. It contains sunny glens and cool, quiet clefts, morning glories that bloom for just one perfect day, and cedars that tower and count ages like breaths. The forest stretches out in every direction for miles beyond counting. The cabin. This is the world as we know it, the stuff of our ordinary, daily human realities. The forest is the infinite, eternal life of God. The full reality of all that truly exists. It would be possible to live your whole life in the cabin, never realizing what is outside its four solid walls. Except that one of those walls contains a glass window, and through that window, you catch glimpses of a beckoning beyond. The glass window is the Bible. The point of a window is not the pane of glass in and of itself. One purpose of a window is the light it sheds on everything inside. Another is the view it provides of that which lies beyond its frame. A good window draws the gaze through itself, unobstructed. It is a servant of the landscape outside. In similar fashion, the Bible is not an end in itself. It is not God. It is not the forest. It is the opening through which we catch glimpses of the strange and wonderfully really real and begin to imagine what it could mean to step outside of our walls and meet it face to face. Let's do that in these coming weeks. I'm going to invite Kathy to come and share with us. I grew up in a home where family devotions were a daily occurrence. This would happen at the end of the day, just before we went to bed. My siblings and I were all expected to participate in this if we were at home. I was not always as attentive as I should have been, but this practice developed in me the habit of reading my Bible every day. I consider this to be a gift passed on to me by my parents. 
This morning, I would like to share with you how I read Scripture to understand it better and to make it meaningful to me. What works for me is to have a consistent time and place for my quiet time with God. For me, it's in the morning when I'm most alert. When I read the Bible, I do it slowly, thinking about what I am reading. It is important that I understand what I am reading so that I can explain to myself and others what I believe and why I believe it. I read the same passage a few times and let it sink in. I try to focus on just one verse or phrase and see how I can apply it to my life. I ask myself, what is the passage telling me about God? What is the passage telling me about myself? To help in understanding the passage, I use a study Bible that has helpful notes and explanations. I also use devotional books that contain meditations written by various theologians. It is possible to read the same passage many times and still find something new in it each time. Another practice that I find helpful is to imagine myself in the scene described in the passage I have just read. Which of the people that I have read about am I most like, and why? Which one would I like to be? What does God want me to change in my life? I guess what I've been sharing with you is the way I practice Lexio Divina. I read scripture, meditate on it, pray, and contemplate. I find it harder to memorize scripture now than when I was young. However, I am still able to recall verses that I learned many years ago and they are still there to guide, reassure, and comfort me. I want to close with Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. It can be found in your pew Bible. We can take some time. Page 915. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Word of the Lord. Okay, people, we're in a series called How to Read the Bible. So I want to practice together this very complex methodology on how to read the Bible. And it starts with these first two steps. Step one, pick it up. Step two, open it up. Have we followed those two steps together? Let's make sure we're at the same step here. We've all got Bibles with us. We've got them open. And we have them open to 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? 
We have Bibles here. We, we forget about them. They're getting dusty, but this is an incredible gift from God. Let's value them. Let's use them. Let's look through this window. You can also find it on your phone, I'm sure. So what page is that on in our Pew Bible, 2 Timothy 3? What? 915. Okay. We're there together. There's also a very similar method if you're interested in helping others to read the Bible. Pick one up. Help that person to open it up. We have, throughout this series, we have a number of Bibles. We have dozens of Bibles that we've received from a ministry here in the city called Give the Word. And this is a a call to action for us as a church that as we value the gift of Scripture, we want to pass that on during this series. And so if you're interested in giving the Word to a friend or a colleague or a neighbor, you can go pick one up for free at the Connect Center, and I would invite you to prayerfully, intentionally give this incredible gift to someone and use it to invite them to know Jesus. So you can go grab one of those after the service. So here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we find one of the few passages in the Bible that is about the Bible. Kind of. Paul is writing a second letter to his church-planting apprentice Timothy in order to encourage him and call him forward in the truth. And this particular passage has come to us today and calls us forward in truth especially by looking through the Scriptures. In our passage, Paul begins by saying, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. I'm sorry to have to break this to some of you, and this series will definitely involve breaking some erroneous and harmful ideas about the Bible. But God's revelation never comes to us directly or purely individually or unfiltered. We always inherit it as it passes on from another. God has chosen community to be the vehicle of his communication. The vehicle of God's communication is community. The Bible is a product of community, of God's people both receiving and entrusting the story of God. As the compositions of the Bible were written many, many years ago, they were done so through different voices, each with their own unique perspectives. The diverse authors have all written in and for particular communities grappling with real-life issues in their specific contexts. This is not a book that was written in a vacuum. As these scattered compositions were then later gathered together, this was again through community, with church leaders engaged in this painstaking process, grappling with how all of God's revelation could be bound up in order to faithfully present the story of God 
the message of God available to the whole world. The technical term for this collecting process is called the canonization of Scripture. But the transmission of God's truth didn't stop just there. It has even continued on to be carried on through community as it has been translated into new languages and new contexts over the centuries. Just on the website Bible Gateway, guess how many translations of the Bible there are? 225 translations on that one website. And those occur in 73 different languages. Any good translation of the Bible is, again, a product of community. With many scholars working together to wrestle through the implications of carrying concepts across languages and across cultures. There's quite an art to doing that. Just a quick word on translations, if any of you are interested. There are so many out there. How do you pick a good one? Well, I'll just quickly say, if you're looking for a good scholarly study Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, or the NRSV, is a good way to go. And for a devotional Bible, the New Living Translation, or the NLT, is excellent. And it also happens to be the version you're holding in your hands that we have as a church, the NLT. And so as we access the Bible today, whether on a page or on a screen, we are tapping into a community of voices and a conversation that is happening within its pages and has been happening across ages. So if we are going to trust the Bible, this will require a measure of trust in the community of God that the Bible has been produced through. I realize that for our modern skeptic minds, this is quite challenging. But this is what the Bible implicitly declares, that God has chosen to reveal His truth through His people, to put His message in our hands. I wouldn't have thought of that idea. It's incredibly risky, and it doesn't hold up to a lot of our skepticism. But that's what we believe, and that's what has happened. Throughout the ages, this has been a dynamic process. And so today, we are drawn into an even deeper trust that the Holy Spirit has been guiding the people of God into all truth over centuries and centuries. If you're going to trust this book, you can't do it without trusting the people of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul speaks from that conviction. And he begins to make some claims about the nature of Scripture itself. He declares in verse 16, All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Paul says, 
all Scripture. The allness of Scripture is actually pretty massive. We should note that at the time Paul wrote these words, all Scripture, they wouldn't have actually applied to the ink on his own scroll. Do you realize that? At this point, the New Testament did not exist, right? So Paul is pointing Timothy to the Testament that did exist, the OT. Well, not yet the Old Testament, but the only Testament. But from our vantage point today, we can extrapolate on that and look at the trajectory of God's story and conclude that Paul's letter, along with the rest of the New or Second Testament writings, they do belong within the heading of all Scripture. And indeed, that is what has happened. The broad and beautiful allness of Scripture is today this collection of 66 books, or 73 if you're Catholic, organized into two testaments. It holds together genres of narrative, poetry, law, and prophecy, wisdom, epistle, gospel, and apocalypse. And it flows from three ancient languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. This is all Scripture. Every aspect of Scripture's allness, Paul says, is inspired by God. And it's here that it's time we state our conviction as to the nature of the Bible. And so I want to confess something to you. I want to come clean on something. And it might explain some questions people have had. I do not believe, this is me personally, I do not believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. I don't believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. I do not use that term inerrant to talk about the Bible. Have you heard other people use this term? Has anyone questioned you on this term? Perhaps you have been questioned on whether you hold this view of the Bible. In the late 20th century, driven by North American fundamentalist Christians, this concept rose in popularity as a kind of litmus test to determine if someone was a true believer. And it still happens today. But there are actually some big problems with this claim. First off, this concept of inerrancy is a relatively new idea. The Bible is actually thousands of years older than this term inerrancy. The concept of inerrancy is a product of the Enlightenment period, which saw the rise of truth determined through empirical skepticism. Don't worry, that's not on the test. That is one philosophical approach, but it too has its blind spots. Just don't say that to anyone who <laughs> subscribes to that. Second, inerrancy emphasizes what the Bible is not. That it is not errant, rather than what it is. I prefer to say what the Bible is rather than what it isn't. Third, 
I'm not sure this concept of inerrancy is useful in any way to help us live into the truth of Scripture. It more often just becomes this distraction where we end up debating about some weird and minute concept rather than getting in here to meet God and hear what He has to say to our lives. And lastly, there are errors in the Bible. There most definitely are errors in the Bible. Things like contradictory, contradicting reports of dates or the precise order of events or who exactly said or did something. If you look, if you study this book, you will find these kind of discrepancies and they can seem to us as errors. So this term inerrancy, it just really doesn't hold up and it really doesn't help us. So for me, I reject this label of inerrancy for the Bible. Or perhaps I could get behind this inerrancy thing with the following claim. I do believe that the Word of God is inerrant. And His name is Jesus. In my own search to understand the Bible and to understand different Christians, I've sometimes asked people this question, What is the Word of God? Should be a simple question, right? But it's fascinating that Christians will have such different answers to this question. So here's my answer, at least my short answer. Jesus. The Word of God is Jesus. Some might say the Word of God is the Bible. But the problem is that if you read the Bible you won't find it applying this claim to itself. No, there are many passages that clearly identify Jesus as the Word of God. As John begins his Gospel, he writes this, In the beginning, the Word already existed. He's not talking about the Bible. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is how John starts what he has to say about Jesus. It's the first name he gives to Jesus. The author of Hebrews begins this letter by saying something similar. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So that's my short answer. Jesus. But a more nuanced response I've come to appreciate comes from one of our MB scholars, Tim Geddert. He says this, Jesus is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word on the Word of God. 
Theology is our words on the word, on the word of God. Cool, hey? Simple, but there's a lot there. Or another way we might simply make this distinction is talking about the written word and the living word. But what does all this mean? Why does all this matter? Well, for one, we might reconsider the practice, or at least what we mean, when we say the phrase, the word of the Lord, following our scripture reading every Sunday morning. We should think about that. But the significance of all this goes far beyond any of these word games, because it actually highlights the particular way that we read the Bible. As Anabaptist followers of Jesus, we have a unique way of engaging the Scriptures. Did you know that? We have a unique way within the global church. We don't read the whole Bible on a level playing field, what would be called a flat approach. We don't read the Bible by organizing it into different historical periods that each have their own different rules for who God is and how he works. That would be called a dispensationalist approach. Instead, we read the Bible as pointing to the authority of Jesus. And this is called a Christ-centered approach. It's how we read the Bible. Author Palmer Becker provides a concise explanation on this approach in the book Anabaptist Essentials. When we read the Bible with a Christ-centered approach, we got a slide for that one, we see all of Scripture as inspired by God, but particularly in how the Scriptures point to Jesus. All of Scripture is fulfilled by Jesus. It comes under the authority of Jesus. And it is understood properly through the light of Jesus. So, practically speaking, we as Anabaptists give greater weight to the Sermon on the Mount, followed by the Gospels, followed by the New Testament, and then the Old Testament. This is not to suggest dismissing or diminishing any text. It's all Scripture. It's all inspired by God. It's all useful. But it shows us the ordering that we use in order to properly understand all of the Bible. And isn't that what it says here in this morning's text? Verse 15 says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. There's a sense of trajectory here that the Scriptures point us to Jesus, the living Word who gives us life. So I want to say clearly, the Bible is the trustworthy an authoritative guide for Christian living. And it's because it draws us into an encounter with Jesus. I can remember one young man I was discipling who was curious about Christian faith, but he was just beginning. We had had a few conversations about the nature of faith. 
mostly staying at this kind of conceptual level, when he posed a question to me that cut through all the distraction. He said, okay, but how, how do I even read the Bible? Hey, now we're talking. I was caught somewhat off guard by this question, but I knew that I needed to have a good response. After all, I had just recently graduated from seminary, so I should hope I would be able to answer this question. And I also realized that my answer could not be a sermon or a series or a book. It would need to be concise and practical. And so I managed to give him this prescription. Begin like this. Find the Gospel of John. Pray before you read that God would speak to you. Read slowly. And on every page, ask these two questions. What does this say about who God is? And what does this say about who I am? And then, because I believe that the Bible is trustworthy and that God loves to use the Bible, I sent him on his way. I didn't think much more about this until I got a call a couple of days later. A late night call. Denver, I've been reading. I've been doing what you said, reading my Bible, reading in John. And God has been speaking to me. Oh, man, that's awesome. No, like for real. I'm reading in John 6 and it's like God is right here in the room talking to me. This young man ended up praying that night to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. God loves to use the Bible so that we would meet Jesus. This is the consistent connection. If you want to discover Jesus, not just as a concept, not just as someone you've heard about from other people, but present in your own life, Begin reading the Bible. If you want someone you love to discover Jesus present in their life, teach that person how to read the Bible. Don't just say you should read the Bible. Help them. Teach them how. And if you want to continue to grow into maturity as a follower of Jesus, it will only come as you keep on reading the Bible. Because it's through the Bible that God speaks to us. We've already mentioned verse 16 that says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Well, there's another translation of this verse that I believe is even better and even more inspiring. It's this. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. The whole Bible is charged with pneuma, the life-giving breath of God. God's Spirit hovers over this story today, ready to act, to create, to renew, to exhale the life of God right into your being. 
And as we continue in the practice of reading the Bible, we allow God to continue His work in us. And His Spirit teaches us to realize what is true and what is wrong in our lives. We become corrected on where we are wrong and taught to do what is right. And God uses all of this to prepare and equip us to do every good work so that the life of God would actually inhabit and live through our lives. So I want to close with a challenge to you at the start of this new year to open up your Bible. And as you do, to open up your life to the Spirit of God, to come and breathe this life of God into you, to put the character of Jesus into your life, that would drive out an old nature and show you a whole new way to live according to the kingdom of God. That's what this book brings us into. So get the dust off your Bible and let this breath of God move in your life. Amen. I'd like to invite you, if you're feeling so led, to stand and sing for this last song. Oh
We did get some questions, Denver. Surprise, surprise. Oh, boy. Fire away. Yep. This is a good one. Just have to find it. Here we go. Why do we not continue to add books to the Bible? Does the Holy Spirit no longer inspire people to write for the community? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And it's one, it's not that I don't have the question anymore, but I remember a period in my life where that was the question. And it, it just gripped me as, as I was going in my undergrad studies. So, and, and it, it, it's actually really helpful to pursue that question because it helps us to understand what this book is. This book is about Jesus. And so the further we get away from Jesus in history, in time, it becomes a little more cloudy. And yes, the Spirit does continue to speak to people today and inspire people and give people words to write and to speak. But it's a little bit different. This is the revelation of Jesus who entered into history in a certain era and a certain context. And so that's what this book is about. And so at some point, it did become appropriate for this book to become closed and to say, that's enough. That's, this book is enough. In, in that sense, it is trustworthy to tell us all that we need to know to follow Jesus. There are other helps. Kathy mentioned that when she reads the Bible, she, she likes to have other resources that she reads alongside it. And those things can be helpful, but they're not on the same level of inspiration and revelation and, and scripture. Uh, so that's, that's a short answer to that question. Um, but it's important also that we still continue to value the inspiration of the Spirit today and, and say that that's real and that's, that's a message for the churches and it's live and it's active that every day the Spirit is at work in a fresh way to bring us back to the Scriptures. We're not leaving or departing from the Scriptures, but in a fresh way pointing us back to this Word that is alive and active in our present. But uh, we can continue to talk about that. Thank you, Denver. Uh, and I want to remind all of you about our Q&R number, where that question came from. It's in the back, on the back side of your bulletin. And I think as we think about how to read the Bible and engage it as a community, engaging with these kinds of real questions, and I think we could see from how passionate Denver was in responding as well, that this is a really important thing that we do as a church. Uh, you don't always have to have a question. You don't always have to go to the exchange and do those discussions. But this is a place where this, these kind of discussions belong. This is the church. So, uh, this morning, I welcome you to join Denver and others in the overflow as they engage in exercises on how to read the Bible and maybe even take up some of the questions. Either way, uh, that'll be a fun place to be this morning and in this series. Not that it isn't another series. But you're also welcome to get coffee or tea or to go to the library. Um, I will let you know there's no Sunday school after the service today. That resumes again next week. And I'd invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. Our benediction is taken from Paul's letter to the Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Praise God, and may God be with you all. Go in peace.